The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving one another, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Can you pray with me? Lord, uh, I just thank you for this place. Lord, I just thank you for Grace City, for the people here, Lord, for this, for this community. God, I just um, pray that you would continue to bless us like you have so fervently. God, I just thank you that there is, um, there's, there's nothing here that's, that, uh, that is separating, but we're all united in Christ, Lord, in you. God, I just pray that we would uh, just continue to live in your love. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Matt. Don't we have an amazing tech team back there? You guys are on it. You guys are on it. Welcome to Grace City this morning. My name is Randall. If this is your first time, I'm the lead pastor here. Thankful to have you this morning. And uh, as Trevor said earlier, we are two weeks away from our two-year anniversary, uh, which just really blows my mind. And so uh, invite friends, invite people. This is an opportunity to do that. And and you know that there, there are people out there right now that are looking for uh, a home church. And so if there are people that are in your life, this is an opportunity to do that. And uh, as Trevor said, we'll have tacos. So yeah, there you go. You're like, hey, we got tacos. It's cool. Um, but right now, uh, we're in a series called New. And what we've been talking about uh, is over the past few weeks, just the, the new identity that we have in Christ, the, the new habits that are formed as a believer in Christ. And today we're gonna talk about a, a new community that is formed in Christ. And so our text today is from Colossians 3, 11 through 15. And as we said, many of us, we're, we're in new seasons. So for me and my family, we're in this new season where all of my kids are in school. It's great. We're loving it, but there's transitions. There's, there's rough patches where you have to work through it. And what this Colossian church is finding is that they have this new community in Christ, but they're working through what that looks like, working through what that means for them practically. And so today we're gonna talk about that because here's the truth for all of us. We all need relationships. No one can live Independently, solo, we all need relationships. And with Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, FaceTime, texting, that should be easier, right? Should be easier. Answer is no, it's not. Doesn't it feel like it's so complicated? See, we have more tools to connect us at our fingertips than ever before, but all the signs from sociologists are pointing to the fact that we are more disconnected as a generation than we are connected. What they call it is the new loneliness. 
Dr. Mehmet Oz in a Huffington Post article called the, new, er, called the New Loneliness writes this. Here's what he says. True social connectedness involves having deep relationships where we make ourselves vulnerable to our friends who in return make themselves vulnerable to us. Friendship is a two-way street where both need to be honest with each other and give feedback, not just interact superficially and put on a facade. Yet according to our survey, women are 50% more likely to spend time reading about what their friends are doing rather than actually talking to them. And when women are following their friends on social media, they're three times more likely to simply read and like their updates rather than leave comments. This may be why some studies suggest that friendship on social media can actually make people feel worse. And I don't even have to get into guys because we're not even liking the pictures, right? Or any of that stuff. So we're not even interacting with it. See, the Bible addresses this. This is, this is not new. It's not a new loneliness. But you travel all the way back into Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Here's what God says at creation. He said, it is not good for man to be alone. So God knew something before we kind of came up with the idea, right? God knows how he created us to be. See, this verse tells us that isolation, the isolation that people face every day as you walk in here, there are people, right now you might feel completely isolated, yet you're surrounded with people that it's real, that it matters that God knows and that he cares. William James in uh, the Principles of Psychology wrote this. He says, no more fiendish punishment could be devised than that, uh, that one should be turned loose in a society and remain absolutely unnoticed by all members thereof. If no one turned round when we entered answered when we spoke, or minded what we did. But if every person we met cut us dead and acted as if we were non-existing things, a kind of rage and impotent despair would ere long well up in us from which the cruelest bodily tortures would be a relief. We know this that in our culture, in our society, in our city, right down the streets, we face the reality of isolation, the reality of, of, of the facade of relationships. See, talking with a friend recently, there is a reality that even right down the street, the way that even the apartments in our city are constructed. One friend who New uh, architect, he said uh, that the, the, the way that the apartments are made in our area are for privacy and efficiency. It's made in such a way that you only have to see your neighbor next to you if you don't want to. You can go about your day walking, doing what you need to do to be efficient, yet loneliness is a reality. See, I believe God created us for so much more. And here's the truth. God understands that we need to be seen. We need to be loved. We need to be known. We all need community. But how do we find it? 
So you can find community in a, many places. But what's different about the community that Jesus offers? Well, what is it that Jesus offers that's different than what we can find out in the world? That's what our text is gonna tell us today. It's Colossians 3, 11 through 15. And, and again, just to give some background, the Colossian church started as a church plant. It started simply. It started with people gathering together and uh, many believe that it was not Paul who started this church but Epaphras who started this congregation of people who are gathering as Christians. And so as Paul is writing this encouragement to the Colossian church, what is he trying to communicate to them? What's he pointing to? Well, we can find in this text three signs of community formed by Jesus. And so I'm gonna give you all three of these up front. And so a new community in Jesus, number one, destroys all barriers. Number two, offers a new way. And number three, binds us together. Destroys all barriers, offers a new way, binds us together. And so we're gonna find it through this text as we study today. And so the first point is destroys all barriers. Look at verse 11. Here's what it says. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Now in this particular text, Paul names an assortment of people that would have naturally been divided by strong cultural barriers. There would have been many reasons for this group of people to be separated. Peter O'Brien, who's someone who commentated on this text, he, he talks about it, he says that the gospel, the message of Jesus breaks down barriers, overcoming the offenses that some would have taken to be around some of these people. So like a Scythian, for instance. People would have not naturally, in, in this culture, Greek culture, wanted to be around a Scythian because here's what they believed. They believed that the Scythians were the lowest kind of barbarian. Josephus, who was a historian during that time, wrote that the Scythians, they were a little bit better than wild beasts. So the Greeks would have looked at these people and said they're, they're barely human. That's how low they are on the scale. But as Paul is talking here, he says, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take this, and he says, Greek and Jew. So Greeks would have been looked upon as outsiders from Jewish culture, but now Paul is reversing. He's saying, okay, I'm gonna put the Greeks, I'm gonna put you before the Jews even though we know in history that the Jews knew God long before the Greeks did. I'm gonna put you guys first, but then I'm gonna do some things that might offend you a little bit. Circumcised, uncircumcised, okay. Barbarian, Scythian, they're with you. they're, They're just as human and as valuable as you are. Slave free. During that time, they believed that a person who was a slave was just a living tool. That's it. Believed that they were just 
there, but they, they really didn't have any value beyond what that person could do for them. And so this is the reality that people were living in during the time that this was written. And we say, well, how could people like that have those type of views? How could they think like that? But, but don't you know that this is still a reality today? This happens today? I was reading an article in uh, Honolulu Magazine, and here's what it's about. It was, it was about surfing, the culture of surfing. It says, what it's really like inside the North Shore's exclusive Volcom Surf House. Now, if you don't know much about the surf culture, the Volcom Surf House is the premier spot on the North Shore. It's got the best views of all the waves and only the elite surfers can get into the Volcom House. And in this article, Amanda Whiting writes about it and she said, you know, um, during that time, as, as back in the, as it first started, it was kind of like the party house where all the, ex, you know, people could go and they could party. It's like only certain people could be in there. Certain people weren't allowed to be in, you know, and so it was like that type of thing going on. But then over the years, it became a little bit more professional and it became a spot where the best surfers lived. And so that, that's their home, that's where they're at, and so they're training there. But still, there's, a, there's an air about it that only certain people could come in to the Volcom Surf House. And so she's wrapping up this article and she's uh, interviewing this guy, Jason Shibata, and here's what he says. He says, it's special here. It's not for everyone to sit on our porch. And then she ends this. She says, the party may be over, but you're still not invited. Do you realize that the same barriers that happened back in the time of this are put up, maybe in a, we would say a more kind or friendly way, but they're still put up and they're barriers and they're dividing walls. But the gospel is different. The gospel changes everything. The gospel breaks down those divisions that we would put up in our own culture, society, school, wherever we are. Jesus breaks those down. You know, in a lot of ways, I realized that my personality and my wife's personality, it's, it's funny because we're, we've realized this about ourselves. We say, well, we're the awkward includers. You know what that means? Like, we're like going somewhere and we're like, oh, cool. Like, we're friends with this person. We're friends with this person. Let's just like bring everybody together. And then what happens is we realize that everybody's not friends with each other or really even knows each other. And, and so what happens is it's this awkward including. We're like, oh, well, we're buddies with everybody and everybody's different and everybody's not the same, but we, we, we're all friends here. The awkward includers. Jesus, because of the gospel, is an awkward includer. You look at this and you start naming off the different groups of people in here and you put them in to a room and you say, okay, you all believe in Jesus and you're all on level ground. Now interact, mingle, talk to one another. 
It's going to be a little awkward at first. It's, it's going to take some time. But Jesus says, that's how I created you. Where it's all level ground at the foot of the cross. See, this now is a community of grace where everyone is invited, no matter the financial, ethnic, or educational background. All are invited in through one door, Jesus. Jesus destroys all barriers to community. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, Life Together, says it is grace, nothing but grace, that we are all allowed to live in community with Christian brethren. What is it that levels the ground? The idea that we say, you know what? I don't deserve to be here. I don't deserve to be here. It's only by grace that I'm here. I don't even deserve to be in this community of people. But because of Jesus, he breaks down the barriers. The second point is this. As we understand that it's a community of grace, not by performance or what we've done to get ourselves through the door, the second point is it offers a new way. Look at verses 12 through 13. It says this. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has complained against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Living as a Christian offers a new way to interact with people. It gives a new way of life. See, there are two parts to it. The first one is this. It starts with this. You can see it at the beginning of the verse. It says this. Uh, you are chosen. You are chosen. It says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. So we got to start there. Okay, as, as we look at this new way of life, you, you have to see yourself in the idea that you got chosen. You're on the team. And so what's the, strength, what's the source of strength that you have to live out the new way of life? Knowing that God chose you. That, that you didn't end up here by accident. And that in God choosing, you are holy and you are beloved by God. Throughout the scriptures, there's this idea of adoption. That we are adopted Ephesians 1, 4 through 5 says this, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. See, what is it that got us through the door? It's the idea that God chose us. That we, 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 and here's what we think. Cool, I'm in because I'm just that great. <laughs> I'm just more lovely, of course. I'm in, but, but here's the reality. I remember this movie, Cider House Rules. I was watching it with my brother one day, there was nothing else on, and so we were watching this movie and it was about this house of orphan kids that are being adopted by new families coming through. And there's this one boy who's very sickly, he's crippled, 
and he would sit up on the second story of the house and he would look outside as more and more kids are being adopted. Families walking away with their children just so excited about the future that they have for their kids. And this little boy looks down as another girl, beautiful little girl is being adopted and he looks down and says, why can't that be me? Why am I not chosen? The reality is that all of us are that boy. It's us. That's what the scripture says, that we were before Christ. We, we, didn't have any, we don't have anything to offer God. That all of our good deeds are filthy rags before God. If we brought our best before God, it wouldn't be good enough. Why are we chosen? Because God is good and he comes to us with grace. See, it's grace, not our personal greatness that gets us in the door. Will you come to God like that and say, I'm needy? There's no shot, there's no way that I could get in other than you. That's how you know you're chosen. It's when you see the reality of it's only him that can get me in. And so where should we, res- or where should we start when it comes to relationships? Should it be technique, relationship books, trying harder to be just a nice person? Some of that's good, but no. It starts with the reality that we're chosen and we didn't have any shot other than God. And it should humble us to the ground. But then when you hear how much you're beloved by God, it lifts you to the skies. That type of person, when you're around them, there's only a gospel humble response that can come out of their life, that can flow from them. See, it's knowing that you're holy because of Jesus. You're deeply loved by the Father. And there's no room for pride in relationships because God has removed it all through choosing very unlovable people. That's it. So there's no way when you're truly in the gospel that you can think you're better than somebody else. It's God who lifts us up. And next, when we find out like the true reality of who we are spiritually and how God has lifted us up and valued us like this, there is a choice. He says this, in verse eight earlier, Trevor talked about this last week, he says that you put away some things, some old ways of life. Like you got a choice, you can put this away and now you can put on something different. You can put on Humility, kindness, gentleness. See, no longer do we dictate how relationships work. Jesus 
dictates how relationships work. Jesus is the standard in how we relate to people. And so when you look at the life of Jesus, he says, okay, this is the life I'm asking you to put on now. As I've lifted you up off the ground, as I've, I've valued you so much, now I want you to put on a new way of life. And you have a choice. Every day. Every day. The hardest thing for me is when I meet someone who says, man, I'm a Christian, but they're rude. They're not a nice person. Right, it's just like, it just doesn't match up. It, it doesn't make sense, right? It's like, okay, wh what's going on here? See, you can be a Christian and be a rude person. We're not saved by being nice people. But when you know Jesus, when you know who he is and what he, he's done for you, you say, Lord, change me. Help me. I, I need you. You start to dictate my choice. You just start to dictate my life. You start to dictate how I approach people in life. This week, I was watching my girls and they were getting in the car and uh, my littlest one, Ava, she's four, she puts her legs out and stretches them across, this, touching the seat in front of her and her sister is about to get in the door. And so uh, Ava looks at Elle, a five-year-old, and says, okay, what's the password? And she said, Ava's sweet. And she says, yep, that's the password. <laughs> and she puts her legs back and she walks right through. Jesus is giving us the password here. A new way of life. See, there, there are many of us who, who, who have rubs and, and, and just friction and all that stuff in life. But by God's grace, we can make a choice and say, I don't want those barriers there anymore and I can put on a new way of life because of what Christ has done for me. And it starts with, he says, simple kindness. See, the way of Jesus breaks down barriers that we set up through kindness, humility, meekness, patience. He now gives us a choice to live with gospel intentionality, no longer choosing bitterness, anger, rage, but instead putting on humility, meekness, patience, long-suffering, forgiveness. How? Well, how? Because we've experienced it. It says that if you're a Christian, Jesus has loved you like that. He's loved us like that. Where do we get the motivation for this type of life? It's knowing that we've already experienced it. Lastly, number three, it's this, binds us together. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. 
The word that he uses here is agape. Agape love. Paul here is saying, you wanna know what holds community together? You wanna know what relationships are held together by? He says it's this, it's agape love. It's a sacrificial, covenantal love. And here's the scary part. Covenant is a commitment. It's a commitment. See, we live in a culture right now that's not known for commitment or sacrifice. It's really known for flakiness, right? Timothy Keller says, covenant love always limits you. It limits your freedom. It cuts you off from other options automatically. When you say I'm going to commit with a a covenantal love, you are saying I'm gonna cut myself off from other options, other things, I'm gonna focus. See, it's a sacrificial love that Paul says binds us together in community. It's a committed agape love, sacrificial. And so just quickly, some takeaways as I wrap up here. So how do we apply this to our lives? First one is this. Let Jesus direct you. Let Jesus direct you. A lot of the times what happens is this. We say, well, it's my heart that directs me. It's my feelings that day that direct me. It's whether I've had coffee or not this morning that directs me, right? But what Jesus says is put on this way of life and let me direct how you interact with the world. I recently had an interaction with a guy in our community. Um, I could tell that he's, he's struggling, he, he's homeless. And the first time we had the interaction, I was going into the store, he says, hey, can I get a quarter? I said, sure, gave him a quarter. And he went and I came back out and he got a beer. And so he's drinking a beer right there. And in my heart, my response was, man, I shouldn't have helped him. Look at that. Wow. Okay. Well, I know for the future. And so in my response, that's what it was. It was like, okay. So I'd see him in the community. I'd just kind of pass right by him. And then I was filling up my waters one day down at Sprouts, and uh, he was standing right next to me. He was watching me. Fill up the waters. And Jesus put it on my heart and he says, you need to ask this guy his name. You don't even know his name. So go ask him his name. And I found out his name's Eugene. I said, Eugene, I know you want me to give you a quarter. I'm not gonna give you a quarter, but I wanna know what you want for lunch. Have you eaten today? No. I said, I'll get you something to eat. And so I said, what's your favorite thing? So I went inside, got him his roast beef sandwich, got him everything he wanted and handed him the sandwich. And he was like so stoked, walks around the corner, eats it. And then I remember him seeing me the next day and he's like, Randall. He's like, thank you. Thank you for that sandwich. It wasn't me. 
was God. It was Jesus. If it was me directing my life or directing my path, I would just continue on with the dividing wall, right? With the separation. Ah. But God broke down the wall. Jesus broke down the wall in my heart. And now I have a friend. He wants to do the same with you. The second part is lead with transparency. How do you put off the old self and put on the new way? It's transparency. I mean, look at verse eight and nine earlier. It says, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. See, this is being transparent. Just saying, okay, I struggle. Ask for forgiveness. Be honest in relationships. See, we walk around so often with the facade that we've got it all together, but yet Jesus invites us and says, do not lie to one another. Don't lie. Be real. Be honest. Again, my daughter Ava came up to, to us, me, me and Laura, the other day, and, and she's so funny because she has this little phrase that she says before she confesses something. She says, I'm sorry I have to tell you this, Sorry I have to tell you this, mom and dad, but I wrote on the wall, you know, I'm sorry. I did, and, and that's her way. But, but the thing is that me and Laura appreciate is she's honest. You might have to say some things right now to some people in your life, and, and it might be, I'm sorry I have to tell you this. I want to invite you into that life because that's what Jesus does. You say, well, that, that's nice, I, but, but I don't even have community. We want to help with that. Because I heard some of that going on this morning in GC men, Grace City men. I heard it. Confessing, talking to one another. GC women is happening and, and, and talking to some women in the same boat and just saying, I'm struggling. City groups are starting in October, right? and I encourage you to jump into one. Don't wait. And lastly, it's this, lean into one another. This takes effort. See, it goes against the flow of our culture. It takes perseverance. How do relationships work when Jesus is the foundation? It's found in verse 13. It's this, bearing with one another and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. This text is realistic about relationships. Here's what it is. It expects that there's gonna be brush-ups, there's gonna be disagreements, there's gonna be misunderstandings, there will be difficult moments. And it says bear with one another and to forgive. I wanna make this clear. This is saying that there are there is a relationship that you have where people are willing to be on the other side vulnerable and say, hey, I messed up, I need forgiveness. This is no excuse to be in an abusive relationship. Do you hear me on that? Well, I just gotta forgive them, but they're abusing me all the I just wanna be clear about that. This does not give people permission to be abusive in relationship with you, okay? But coming in, being vulnerable, being in a healthy relationship, saying, hey, 
help me to, to bear with one another because there will be complaints, but there's forgiving involved. You say, how many times? Jesus was asked that question and in Luke 18, 22, he says, I do not say seven times, which is like, ooh, that's, that's big time, but 77 times. You say, well, how do I do that? It's this, knowing that because of Jesus, you and I are forgiven. The way that C.S. Lewis wraps up the gospel is this. He says, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. And when you have that type of perspective, that gospel lens perspective on life, it'll transform you into a person that has a new community in Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your grace. Thank you for how you do not give up on us. And your gospel's true. Jesus, you died for us. You've given us freedom today. And I pray that you help us to be honest, vulnerable, and just re- ready to experience what the new community is that you have for us in Christ. Brothers and sisters, where there's no more dividing wall, but you've broken that all down and now we're a community of grace. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.